And if you're able to stand, we're going to read the whole chapter. If you're able to stand, please stand. If you're not able to stand, that's fine as well. Matthew chapter 3, verse number 1. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around about Jordan, and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, meat, fruits, meat for repentance. And think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire." Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing it is that we can gather together this evening. We rejoice in the songs that we've been able to sing and the messages of those songs. And we thank you, Father, for the specials and song tonight, the piano special, and then this other special. Father, we thank you that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, that's our desire tonight, to worship you in spirit and in truth. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us tonight. I pray that his presence would be very clear. pray, Father, that he would work through the Word to teach us, to work in our hearts, to draw us closer to you, to convict us, to teach us, to help us. Father, I pray that you would bless Brother Daniel and Sister Mercy as they follow you in baptism tonight. Father, as they desire to serve you, desire to live their lives for you. Father, I pray that this first act of obedience would be one of, of great encouragement to them. Father, also an encouragement to us. Father, as we consider the need there are to see Others come to know you as their Savior, and Lord, that you might use us in a greater way to see that happen. Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to serve you. And Father, I pray you bless our hearts tonight and draw us closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You may be seated. As you consider in this passage of Scripture this evening, the subject of baptism, the doctrine of baptism, baptism is obviously, obviously something that's very important. We see it throughout the, the New Testament. Some very important truths in this chapter that we won't uh, delve into tonight, but just some, some basic ones just to start off in verse number 2. And, he, and John the Baptist came preaching the wilderness, we're told in verse number 1, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He preached the gospel to the lost, and those that believed and repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ, those are the one, of the coming Christ, those were the ones that John was baptizing. He wasn't out there baptizing babies. He wasn't out there baptizing anyone that came along. In fact, the, the, the Pharisees and Sadducees in verse number 7 uh, came there, and he says, before I baptize you guys, I need to see some fruits. I need to see evidence of your salvation. And it's important to understand the issues relating to, to baptism. Baptism is a, is a central pillar of our belief. It's a central command of the New Testament. Every believer is commanded to be baptized. It's not, it's not a matter of convenience. It's not a matter of, well, if I, if I get to it, that's, that's fine. Uh, but it's just, it's just a convenient thing. It's you know, like maybe hospitality. If I have opportunity to be hospitable with someone, I, I might do that. But if I don't, then I don't. Baptism is not a suggestion in the Scriptures. It is a command. It lies in the heart of, of uh, who we are. Uh, theologically, baptism proclaims the gospel. It uh, shows the need for personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Historically, uh, this has been called the doctrine or the water that divides. Uh, millions of, millions of uh, lives have been lost over this issue of baptism. Those that would stand strong for the Word of God and, and uh, practice it according to the scriptural means, millions have lost their lives for standing true to the Word of God. There's a lot of departures from the doctrine of baptism that we can find throughout Christendom today. Uh, they go in, hand in hand with false views of salvation. They vary in many respects. We consider the, the mode of, of baptism. You have those that are sprinkling, those that are pouring, those that are immersing, those that aren't baptizing at all. Uh, you have differences as, in, as it comes to the, the candidates for baptism. Whether babies are being baptized, believers are being baptized, uh, the dead being baptized. <laughs> and there, there are those that baptize uh, by proxy, at least for the dead. They don't actually baptize dead bodies, but they baptize by proxy, uh, those that are dead. Uh, so there's a lot of error out there among those that call themselves Christians. We consider the institution of baptism and the authority to baptize, authority is inherent in the command to baptize. We need to understand how important the authority is. I could, I could write out a letter, sign my name onto it, uh, give it to Brother Waller, and tell him, you just, just take this piece of paper down to uh, Schnooks and just tell them, I told them they could just fill your, your van up with as much food as, as you can hold. Just give them this letter. <laughs> and you could take that letter down there and they'd say, this letter doesn't mean anything. <laughs> this letter means nothing uh, to us. We, we're not going to fill your car because some random guy gave you a letter authorizing you to do that. I have no authority to tell them to fill this vehicle up. 
I have no authority to tell a, a fuel station to, to fill them up with gas. Now, if I sent money along, they'd say, I'll, I'll take that. But my letter, my name means nothing. I have no authority. Authority is important in the matter of baptism. In John's baptism, in John 1 and verse number 6, we see that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. John had God's authority. He was sent from, he was a man sent from God. In John 1 verse 33, he said, He that sent me to baptize with water. John recognized that he was sent. He wasn't just out there doing it because he thought it was a good idea. He wasn't just out there because he needed a job and he thought locusts and wild hunting, living in the wilderness, and I mean, thought as a crazy guy that that's a good career choice. No, he was sent by God to baptize. In Luke 7, there was a, uh, an argument going, going on. And just looking at verses 29 and 30, of Luke 7, it says that all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him. There are those that rejected God's counsel. They were not going to be baptized by John. They rejected the counsel of God. The others that understood what was going on and, and accepted Christ, looking forward to the coming Christ, they willingly justified God. They willingly accepted the counsel of God and were baptized by him. If you look in John 4, we have the account of early on in Jesus' ministry. In the first two verses of that chapter, we're told that, that the Pharisees, when they had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Then it says, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. So what does it mean that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, but he didn't baptize? Just said he baptized. Well, who, who was doing the baptizing? His disciples were doing the baptizing. But they were doing it with his authority. And so he was making and baptizing disciples, though he didn't baptize anyone. His disciples were doing the baptism, but it was by his authority. It was under his authority. The disciples already had John's baptism. John had prepared those men. They were looking forward to the coming Messiah, were baptized of him. Jesus came and took those disciples, a portion of those, those disciples, and started his first church. And then those disciples... He gave authority, and they were baptizing in his name. And so we're told that Jesus made and baptized more disciples, although he didn't baptize anyone, but it was his authority. We consider the church's authority. Turn, if you would, over to Matthew 28. Who has the authority uh, to baptize today? That's an important question. Who has the authority to baptize I don't have the authority to do a lot of things. If I took Brother, Brother Pelican's checks and signed it <laughs> and gave that to you, it'd be pretty foolish to, to take it to the bank. I don't have the authority to sign it. I don't have the authority uh, to do anything in his name. Now, I can get that authority. He can sign that. He can give me that authority. We can do a power of attorney, and he can give me that authority. But until that happens, I have no authority. We consider baptism... Who has the authority 
to baptize. We had a family in Oregon that came. They lived way out. We lived way out. <laughs> they lived way f- farther out than we did. They were about another hour outside of where we were at. And they started coming to church, driving about an hour to church. And uh, they finally wanted to, to join the church. And I was asking them about their salvation. They had good salvation testimonies, but I was asking them about their baptism. And the parents had good baptism, but the, the children, they said, well, my kids, when they got saved, we had a creek out in the back. So I just took them out there in the back and, and I baptized them. And so I had to have a talk with them. Well, what authority did you have to baptize? In Matthew 28, Jesus is given the commission here. In verse number 18, Jesus came and spake unto them. So he's talking to a particular group of people here. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That word power there speaks of authority. All authority is given to me. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus has all authority, and he says to this group of people that are there, Go ye therefore and teach, make disciples, and then baptize them. He was giving them authority to do this. If Jesus was just speaking to the 12 apostles, we don't see anywhere in the scriptures that apostolic authority is is passed on. So when those apostles died, that command died with them. When when my... uh, my grandma was still alive. I just use this as, as an illustration. And my mom had power of attorney. She could sign. Th- she had authority to do things for my grandmother. If my mother would have died before my grandmother died, I couldn't just go there and say, "Well, I'm my mom's son. I'm, I can. I can. I'm now in that position. I'm not. My brother's not. My sisters. None of them could just step in because she happened to die." If the, the apostles, if, they were, if it was given to them, the commission died with them. If he was speaking to believers in general, it creates something that's really impossible to accomplish. That means he's speaking to you individually. If you say, well, I, I, as a Christian, I have the authority to baptize. You don't only just have the authority to baptize. You have the responsibility to baptize. But you also, you personally have the responsibility to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You have the responsibility to teach them all things, whatsoever they have, uh, whatsoever Christ has, has taught. You have not just the authority, you have the responsibility. And that's an impossibility. You can't do that. I can't do that. I can, if, you, if you were able to win just Wildwood, let's say you personally were able to win every soul here in Wildwood to the Lord, it's going to take you a lifetime to disciple them on your own. So individually, it's impossible. But institutionally, as a church, that's not impossible. He gave this authority. He was speaking here to his church and authority must be insisted upon. It's not, uh, there's no validity outside of a proper authority. We consider the authenticity of baptism. We consider what makes baptism scriptural. What makes it valid. 
There's four things we'll look at this evening. Authenticity of baptism. The first is that there has to be a scriptural candidate, the right person. Who's being baptized? It's clear in Scripture that the candidate for baptism must be saved. We believe in believer's baptism. In Matthew 3, verses 6 through 8, it says they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. On the day of Pentecost, as Peter preached, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. In the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Those that didn't gladly receive his word weren't baptized. In Acts 16, we have the story of Lydia. We're told that she worshipped God. She heard Paul preaching. And we're told in verse number 14 that her heart was opened by the Lord and she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. So God worked in her heart. Her heart was open. She listened to the things that, that were heard, that Paul preached, and she attended to those things. What's Luke describing there for us? He's describing for us her salvation. And after her salvation, it says that she was baptized. In Acts 18, verse number 8, we have Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, says that he believed in the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Baptism is for believers. This evening, we've got Mercy being baptized. She was already baptized when she was about nine years old. She was baptized. At least she was immersed. She was immersed, but she wasn't saved. Why is she being, why is she being rebaptized? She's not being rebaptized. She's being baptized. She's being baptized. Why? Because she wasn't saved that first time. She just came to know Christ as her Savior. We consider babies and infants and, and toddlers, they're not proper candidates for baptism because they, they can't understand salvation, they can't understand the gospel. In Charles Hodge's Systematic Theology, and Charles Hodge is, is a, uh, I don't know if he's a Presbyterian, Brother Kerman, Charles Hodge. Reform, he's a reformer of some sort. I can't remember what church he was from. He has a systematic theology. Listen to what he says here on infant baptism. I always love this. I, the difficulty on this subject is that baptism from its very nature involves a profession of faith. He should have just stopped right there. <laughs> it is the way in which, by the ordinance of Christ, he is to be confessed before men. But infants are incapable of making such confession. Therefore, they are not the proper subjects of baptism. Or, to state the matter in another form, the sacraments belong to the members of the church, but the church is the company of believers. Infants cannot exercise faith, therefore they are not members of the church, and consequently ought not to be baptized. Then he continues, in order to justify 
the baptism of infants, we must attain and authenticate such an idea of the church as that it shall include the children of believing parents. Then he goes on for the next chapter or so justifying infant baptism. <laughs> when he just made it, he made it very clear to us, uh, infants aren't the proper subject of baptism. But because of the theology that he holds to, he has to somehow justify it, somehow come up with this idea to authenticate such an idea. We just stick with the scriptures. So a scriptural candidate is it's believers, baptism. We consider number two that there must be a scriptural design. Baptism does not wash away our sin. Baptism does not bring salvation. Baptism does not convey any grace to us. It's, it's described as a sacrament by Protestants and, and Catholics. It's described as a sacrament. In the basic definition of a sacrament, you could apply to baptism, but how they apply it is that it, baptism actually conveys grace for salvation, actually conveys grace in such a way that if you're not baptized, then you can't be saved. The Jamaicans, many of the Jamaicans that we worked with, uh, they would staunchly say, we believe in salvation by faith, and you're Baptism has nothing to do with salvation, but if you don't get baptized after you're saved, then you'll die and go to hell. <laughs> so baptism didn't save you, but if you weren't baptized after salvation, then you would lose your salvation and you'd go to hell. Baptism does nothing for your salvation. You could be saved, know Christ as your Savior, and never be baptized, and you'll go to heaven. Your sins will be forgiven. Your sins are washed away. The thief on the cross never was baptized. It's only a symbol. If one has been baptized for any other reason, they're in a church, maybe they're truly saved, but they're in a church that, that teaches uh, you have to be baptized in order to stay saved, or you have to be baptized to add to your salvation, and, and they were baptized in that denomination, in that church, it's not scriptural baptism. Even though they were truly saved, even if it was by immersion, it's not scriptural baptism. It's a picture. It shows forth the, the gospel in symbol. It shows forth the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That here's, Christ has saved me. And I am showing forth that it's, it's symbolic. When, I, when I'm going down in the water and coming up out of the water, it's symbolic of what Christ did for me. It's a picture. The design, the mode of a baptism is to obey the Lord's command. Identify with him in this symbol of his death, burial, and resurrection. People will point to 1 Peter 3, verse 21. And they'll say, well, there it says that baptism saves us. 1 Peter 3, verse 21 says, The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter there is not telling us that baptism washes away our sins. He says it's the answer of a good conscience. How do you get a good conscience? Through salvation. And when you're saved, you're, the answer to your conscience is, God, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. What wilt thou have me to do? As, as, that was Paul's first words after, after his salvation. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That was the answer of a good conscience. And for the believer, the first step of obedience is baptism. And when we're baptized, it is the answer of a good conscience. It's the response of our conscience. We want to follow our, our Lord. 
and be a servant of his. I want to identify with Christ. So there must be a scriptural design, purpose behind the baptism. Also, there must be a scriptural mode. This is a simple one. A baptism is by immersion. That's what the word baptize means. It means to immerse. It doesn't mean to sprinkle. Uh, there's a word for that in Greek. It, Jesus didn't use that word. It doesn't mean to pour. There's a word for that in Greek. He didn't use that word. He used the word that means to dip, to plunge, to immerse, to sink, to overwhelm, to plunge under, underneath. That's the word that he used. Baptism means immersion. You go to a, a Greek Orthodox church, and they baptize infants. How do they baptize? They know Greek. How do you think they baptize? By immersion. <laughs> they don't just sprinkle water on the baby's head. They take the baby and they dunk it down in the water. Why? Because they know what the language means. Even grammatically, in English or Greek, it only means immerse. Consider Matthew 3, verse 6. That they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. So they were baptized. If baptized means to pour, they were poured. It doesn't say water was poured, they were poured. If, if sprinkling was baptism, they were sprinkled. How do you sprinkle someone? I'm not talking about sprinkling water. I'm talking about sprinkling a person. How do you sprinkle a person? Unless you're going to kill them, it's impossible to do. I could drop a person. <laughs> I could put them in a big jug and dump them out and drop them. But that's not pouring. That's not sprinkling. That's not baptizing. Baptizing means to immerse. Immerse is the only thing that, that fits grammatically. And scripturally, we have plain statements that show us that it is immersion. In Matthew 3, verse 6, they were baptized of him in Jordan. Not next to Jordan, beside Jordan, they were in Jordan. Mark 1, verse 15 says that they were all baptized of him in the river Jordan. In Matthew 3, verse 16, it says that Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water which means that he was in the water. In Matthew 8, verse 39, the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip baptized him and says that when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. In John 3, verse 23, it says that John was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there. Why did he need much water? You don't need much water if you're just going to sprinkle. You don't need much water if you're just going to pour. You don't need to be like that uh, stained glass picture I've described before of, of Jesus' baptism where they're in the River Jordan up to, their, up to their chest in water, and John the Baptist has a little cup and he's pouring water over Jesus' head. <laughs> How foolish is that? You need much water. In Acts 8, verse 38, we have the phrase, into the water. Philip says that he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Symbolically, baptism is a burial that's not pictured by sprinkling. You don't bury someone by sprinkling water or dirt over them. You don't bury someone by pouring some, some dirt over them, sprinkling some dirt over them. They're buried. They're down in the ground, and they're covered, surrounded by by dirt. 
In Romans 6 and verse number 4, it says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. It's a picture of that, that death, burial, and resurrection. We are dead with Christ. He died for me. He, buried, he was buried. He, he's alive now. And I'm identifying with him. My old man is dead. And I've, I, I'm going to walk in newness of life. But it's a burial. We are buried with him in baptism. Colossians 2 and verse number 12 tells us that. He says, Wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So there must be a, uh, a scriptural mode of baptism. And number four, which we've already touched on at the beginning, but we'll hit on it here too. The, uh, the fourth uh, thing necessary for scriptural baptism is a, is a scriptural authority, scriptural administrator. Churches, not Christians, are, have the authority to baptize. Churches, not parachurch organizations. YWAM or uh, mission boards or uh, other groups like that, they don't have the authority to baptize. Are they sincere? Sure. But they're sincerely wrong. (laughs) They don't have the authority to baptize. How many people have been very sincere in forging a check? (laughs) Because they really needed the money. They really, really needed it. There were bills stacking out. There were medical bills to pay. And they, they signed that check sincerely. And they're in jail today because they signed that check. <laughs> they had no authority to do so. Command to baptize. And therefore the authority to baptize was given to the Lord's churches. Christ recognized John's baptism. Recognized John's authority when he was in Galilee and went to Jordan 60 miles for that trip. Passing all kinds of probably pools and, and rivers and, and other places that he could have been baptized. But he went 60 miles where John was baptizing to be baptized of him. Philip had authority as an evangelist out of the church there in Jerusalem. He had the authority to baptize and also direct authority by the Holy Spirit. Ananias had direct authority by God to baptize Saul, but he was also there in Damascus, probably a part of that church in Damascus, and had the authority from them also to baptize. In Acts 19, we have a group of believers that, or a group of, of men that were rebaptized, <laughs> baptized again. And whether we look at that from the aspect of they weren't saved the first time, so their first baptism wasn't scriptural because they weren't saved, or they were saved, but they were baptized by someone that didn't have the authority to baptize. They said they had John's baptism, but maybe they were baptized by just a disciple of John that didn't have the authority to baptize, and they're out there baptizing. And here you have these men that claimed baptism, but didn't have baptism. Whatever the reason, their first baptism wasn't scriptural. Then they had the right authority, and they were baptized again. So baptism is important. It's important to the Christian. It's a matter of obedience. In Matthew 28, verse 19, if churches are commanded to baptize those that are saved, then those that are saved have the responsibility to be baptized. Throughout the New Testament, we see believers were always associated with with churches. They're in churches. In different areas, they were part of those churches. 
And so it's a matter of, of obedience. It's a matter of following Jesus' example. Uh, the, the, the offertory that was played, uh, Footsteps of Jesus came to my mind. What was the title of that, Footsteps of Jesus? Uh, you know, we're, we're to be following in his footsteps. Uh, Peter told us that Christ left us, left us an example that we should follow his steps. Jesus was baptized, and we are to f- obey and follow his example. Uh, church uh, Baptism recognizes the Lord's churches, that it's the door into the church. Uh, so there's recognition there, the importance of, of the Lord's churches. Uh, there's an association with Christ that's important. We see that, that in Romans 6, verses 3 through 5, that we're associating with Christ, that we've put on Christ. Baptism is important to Christians. Baptism is important to churches. It's a matter of, of protection. Can you imagine if, if we just, anyone that came here to, to join, truly saved. Let's say they're truly saved people. But they're, they're coming from other uh, churches that don't believe properly. And we just say, you've been baptized, we'll just accept your baptism. But they're coming from churches that, that do not hold to scriptural principles. And, and eventually enough of those come in, and then they're maybe looking at the doctrinal statement, and they're saying, that, I don't believe this. <laughs> hey, hey, John, have you seen this? Hey, hey Susie, have you, have you read this? Do you believe that? No, we didn't believe that. There are other church. I don't believe that either. Well, how many of us are here that don't believe this? Oh, let's have a vote. <laughs> let's have a vote, and we don't believe this anymore. It's a protection. It's a protection even against unregenerate church membership. We believe that members of a church ought to be saved. <laughs> so baptism is a protection uh, in that as we uh, investigate those that want to come, we, we make sure that they are truly saved as much as we can. We can't see people's hearts, obviously. And people will come under conviction, and, and there's time to be. How many in here as adults, or at, maybe not even as adults, but as you made a profession of faith, and as, maybe as a teenager or as, as an adult, you realized you were lost and you were saved after a profession of faith. How many in here? A lot. <laughs> so we, we obviously don't know people's hearts, but the Holy Spirit does. And so it's a matter of protection. It's a matter of, of preservation. We have, we have biblical doctrine to pass on. We have biblical heritage to, to pass on and Baptism is a means of, of protection for the church. It's important doctrine. It's important how we practice it. It's important how we observe it. It's important how we, when new members come, if they're, if they're coming from another church, that we make sure that you have scriptural baptism. Is that a scriptural church that you're coming from? Do they practice scriptural baptism? I'm excited tonight that we can have two baptisms. Before we go to that, I would like to... Brother Jed, if you would lead us, in, or Brother uh, Jose, Brother Jed, who, whoever is doing the music tonight, <laughs> Brother Jose, uh, um, if you would lead us in a, in a hymn, maybe you're here tonight and you're not saved. You know, baptism is for those that are saved. And maybe the Lord's dealt with your heart, maybe, or maybe you're here and you realize, you know what, I don't have scriptural baptism. Maybe the Lord's dealt with your heart about something. Uh, this give you an opportunity now to respond to that. But let's all stand together. We'll, we'll sing a, a hymn of, of invitation. After this, we'll have, actually, uh, if Daniel and Mercy, if you guys want to go back and, and prepare.
Um, we'll have this, just one, one verse here. If the Lord's dealt with your heart about anything, deal with that. I want to go back. Brother Jose is going to continue leading some songs, taking some testimonies. Uh, so I hope you've come prepared to